This is Chad Dull. Welcome to my Poverty Informed Podcast. been a crazy semester, as most of you know, uh, for those of you especially involved in education, uh, and crazy times in recent weeks uh, in our country. But when things get challenging like that, I'm a person that likes to simplify and come back to uh, what I always think of as core principles or underlying assumptions. And that got me thinking this week about this notion of love. Um, I always tease, I'm a Midwesterner, so that's not even an easy word to say out loud. But I think love is important in the work that we do. And I thought this uh, this month, this week, whatever these are coming out as, uh, I would share um, a little bit of something I wrote back in September uh, about that topic of love and how important I think it is in the work that we do. So I'd like to share... Uh, a piece called Poverty Informed Practice, The Power of Love. My parents were hippies. I have a picture, actually I have a few, that would provide evidence of this. Uh, The one I'm thinking of today uh, is one of me as a little guy in the middle. Um, My parents are probably 20 or 21 in the picture. Dad's got a great shirt open to somewhere right below his solar plexus, uh, a mustache and uh, great long hair. My mom's wearing John Lennon glasses uh, and they're in a home that we lived in, um, and I'm not 100% sure which house that was. I think it was a farmhouse they rented in a place that I remember called Folsom, uh, which was sort of in the middle of nowhere, which I suspect was the point at the time. Hippies wanted to get back to the land and all. Anyway, like I said, mom and dad were hippies. At least they were until they weren't. My mom is gone now, of course. We lost her too young, but uh, in her life she ended up as a pretty successful nonprofit executive and started multiple small businesses of her own along the way. I'm very grateful my dad is still with us. Uh, He's actually only 70 years old. That's one of the benefits of having teen parents. And his career ended up making him a little bit of a local legend as a teacher and a coach. But all those things happened later. I'm their oldest child, and for many of my formative years, I grew up around this interesting cast of characters and grew up around a point of view steeped in hippie values. Poverty was, of course, part of the picture. My dad struggled to find a career, and then my parents uh, divorced when I was about four. But the positive part was, I knew people a little boy from really nowhere probably doesn't get to know normally. I can remember amateur musicians, immigrants. Uh, I remember a transgender friend, uh, a former priest. uh, Do nuns get defrocked? It was a former nun and just this collection of interesting folks, and none of them had very much, but there was this generosity to all of them. And at least from a little boy's perspective, they felt like people who genuinely cared for one another and looked to help one another. I was this little boy growing up in some fairly serious poverty, but truly surrounded by love, and that mattered. There's power in love. This idea of love in our work is powerful. Now, I tend to give credit as often as I can, and I own that I've been deeply influenced by the work that's occurred at Amarillo College, and especially their inspirational leader, Dr. Russell Lowry Hart. I even have another picture of uh, Dr. Lowry Hart and I on the edge of a crowd surrounding uh, 
the mascot for the Amarillo Sod Poodles uh, baseball team uh, back in one of my trips to the Texas Panhandle. I've been interested in Amarillo's work for a long time. In fact, back in 2017, I pulled a group together at my former college, handed them an annotated version of Amarillo's 2017 Bellwether Award, and said, we should do this. Don't tweak it, don't modify it, just do this. I suppose I've evolved a little since then, but not much. I feel like I've known at my core for a very long time poverty is the barrier our students face. I understand poverty is intersectional, I understand it's complex, but a focus on poverty does so much and takes us to other important work on equity from many angles. So, for me, eliminating poverty is the direction of my long obedience. I mentioned I've evolved from simply copying Amarillo's approach as I've learned about what they've done. This work will have to look different in different places and circumstances, but it is centered on one thing, love. Dr. Lowry Hart wrote a powerful piece about just this called Love Can Save Us. And at the end of all this work, I've learned that we simply do things differently for people we love, and we can choose to love the people at our colleges. And when we do that, it changes everything. I really like it when you can make complex ideas simple. Building your work on love is simple and powerful. Let me give you an example of how we're trying to do just that. I was so pleased when I arrived at Minnesota State College Southeast to learn we had strong emergency funds in place for students, as well as food pantries on both of our campuses. I believe fervently in these just-in-time resources that help students bridge inevitable challenges. In fact, one of my first projects on campus was to help create an additional emergency fund, which I, I used some seed money for my occasional speaking gigs and we ran an internal campaign at our college. As the sort of founding donor, my only condition was to have low or no barriers for students to access the fund. Essentially, if the student says they have a need, we try to meet it. In fact, all of our funds run basically on that model. This is trust, and trust is love in action, in my opinion. But it isn't always easy. In recent months, our use of emergency funds has increased rapidly, which is certainly not a surprise. In fact, we discovered there's a chance we will run out of our current funds before the year is over. The associate director of our foundation pulled together a group of key stakeholders, including me, to make sure we understood that we could run out of money and discuss what we might do, if anything. Now, I have spent years advocating for those who have been judged as worthy or unworthy of help. And I admit I came to that meeting ready to go to war. I knew my arguments. One, a lack of resources doesn't mean you ration them. It means you pursue more resources. Two, a lack of resources doesn't mean you start deciding who really needs help. I sat quietly at the beginning of the meeting, ready to jump in with those arguments that I've been making for years, waiting for someone to suggest we needed stricter screening criteria. The moment never came. The conversation was frank and direct. There is need. We do not have enough resources to meet the need. The consensus answer of our group? Let's find more resources. I get goosebumps just saying it. The group 
said our food pantries don't have restrictions why would our emergency funds and there was no one in this meeting interested in assessing worthiness now I'd love to tell you all that was due to me preaching poverty informed gospel but it was a lot deeper than that this was love for students coming through love was a verb that day the funds at my college and our food pantries built on the take what you need when you need it are from the same ethos as those people my parents were trying to be in the 70s and I'll tell you it's remarkable how often clear purpose meets success shortly after that meeting we received a couple of small grants to enlarge our pantries and to add refrigeration to them I'm sure we'll solve emergency funds as well now there are certainly other approaches to distributing resources and they may have positives but they all seem so often to lack love to me oh yeah and figuring out who should get what is usually an inefficient waste of time and resources let me try to give you an example so I know of colleges when the pandemic began that were able to distribute devices to students when learning went more remote that is great on the surface but is there love underneath? In talking and colleagues and friends from those places, I think many of them violated my favorite maxim from Amarillo, the notion that we must love our students more than we love our policies. What do you love more, the people you're serving or your rules? I would talk to people and hear complaints about devices not being treated properly or returned on time or frankly returned at all sometimes. Even worse, I would hear statements like, those people are going to ruin it for everyone. Come on. Are we interested in helping or are we interested in compliance? If you can distribute money or resources to people, but you get upset that a small number of them don't use it the way you want, would you really think of that as love? And if you accept the premise that poverty is a context as opposed to a character flaw, can you also admit you may not understand the why behind the things people do? Now, even if you think I'm being bleeding heart and soft, how much time and resource do you want to waste chasing the small percentage of issues? Is that cost effective? Is it efficient? I'll bet you save more money retaining students than you will ever lose on a few disappearing iPads. And if you trust people you won't make the 95 percent of people doing things the right way feel like suspects my role model dr lowry hart said in that article i mentioned earlier this to be clear rebuilding an entire college on the foundation of love was not easy in a higher education sector often devoid of it he is absolutely correct now, I shared a positive story from my college, but rest assured we have lots of work to do. Choosing love is not always easy, and we see those challenges every day. But keeping it in that frame is what matters. You see, love was the viewpoint of my parents and their friends back in those days when we had nothing. I often joke when I get to do presentations about being Midwestern and Scandinavian and German by heritage, which can lead to being just a little repressed. Love is not a word I throw around easily, but I'm challenging myself to change and use it more frequently, including at work. Think of the people you love. Are there limits on what you would do to help them? 
Are there unforgivable sins they could commit where you would no longer help them? I said earlier that I like to simplify things. In recent years, I've come to describe the work of colleges like mine as changing economic reality for people we love. What would you do differently if you truly believed your job was changing reality for people you love? Would you be able to truly have a bad day if your purpose was as clear as that? Now, maybe part of this podcast is just a pep talk to a college administrator who's been through his most challenging year, but I'm hoping it resonates with some of you. You see, on Monday, I'm going to get up and remember one of the reasons I am where I am in life is I was loved unconditionally. It was the gift of young hippie parents 50 years ago. I'm going to remember it, and I'm going to pass that gift on to our students. It costs me nothing and can change everything.